Well, that day, everyone had an agenda for Jesus. Not much has changed, has it? We want Jesus to bless our politics, our careers, our health, our bank accounts, and especially our churches. And, and the, but the problem is we define bless in terms that have to do with power in our American society and public success. But on the day that has come to be called Palm Sunday, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords aspired to a power that came through the ultimate sacrifice of the cross. As Jesus made his way along the journey into Jerusalem that day, Jesus was on a mission, a mission to die, a mission to die on a criminal's cross for all of those who, who surrounded him with accolades that day in hopes that he'd bless their agendas. N.T. Wright said, Jesus has come to Jerusalem not to be enthroned like David or like Judas Maccabeus or even like the current king at the time, Herod, but to be killed. And it was in that sacrifice, in his humble service to us all, that we see the greatest display of power the world has ever known. Jesus would truly bless all those with an agenda for him by doing what no one of them would have ever even realized that needed to be done most. He would bless them with salvation, atonement, forgiveness, imputed righteousness, redemption. He would come and give them in that journey grace. And oh, how our world needs to see us, the church, Refusing the worldly power that comes from greed, politics, and godless religion, and instead displaying Jesus' revolutionary, upside-down kind of power through humble sacrifice and love and service to our world, including and especially for our enemies. For God so loved his enemies that he gave his only begotten son. That's how we'll live, you see, if we comprehend and apply the truth that Jesus was communicating by his actions on Palm Sunday. The question this morning as we begin, this is what I want to talk to you about today. Do you know this Jesus? All four Gospels record Jesus' triumphal entry. Some have parts that others don't. But just jot down four passages so you'll have them. Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. That's where you'll find the account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem that day. Do you know this Jesus? You see, what we learn from these passages is this. We must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. What was Palm Sunday all about? Palm Sunday was all about us figuring out if we know who he really is. It's all about us realizing that we must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. This morning, I want to show you two amazing realities about who Jesus is that were clearly revealed on Palm Sunday that will help us rightly welcome Jesus in our own hearts. First of all, I want you to see from this text 
from these texts, and we're going to kind of be all over the place, so just watch the screen, it'll all be up there. Uh, First of all, Jesus is the messianic sovereign. He is the messianic sovereign. Some of you that may not be familiar with the word messianic are thinking, what does that mean? He's a messy sovereign? No, he's a messianic sovereign. We'll get to that in just a minute. Jesus, you see, is the long-awaited, prophetically foretold, sovereign king who saves. He was the rescuer. That's what the word Messiah means. He was the rescuer of Israel, prophesied for hundreds of years. Jesus is the messianic sovereign, that long-awaited, prophetically foretold, sovereign king who saves. Make no mistakes. mistake, Jesus is king today. Matthew 21, verse 1, we pick it up. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. By the way, that shows the sovereignty of this king. Just tell him the master needs, the Lord needs the donkeys. Can you imagine trying that? But so sovereign was the hand of God in that moment, it worked. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Prophecy from Zechariah 9, verse 9, made about 520 B.C. 500 years before Jesus came. Even the mount of the Messiah was foretold. What sovereignty over all the details of Jesus' arrival on Palm Sunday to the city of Jerusalem. And catch this, Jesus sovereignly orchestrates the details. He is the messianic sovereign. He is in control on this Palm Sunday. Matthew's text goes on in verse 6 to say, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. They took somebody else's animals and brought them to Jesus under the sovereign hand of the Lord of all things, Jesus himself. John chapter 12, verse 13, picks up the story. It says that they took palm branches, the people, the crowds that had come, and went down the road to meet him. And as they were going, they shouted in fulfillment of Psalm 118, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Matthew's account actually says they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna in Hebrew, it, it, it means salvation has come. The son of David is our salvation, they cried. The cry of the crowd was prophesied as well. Back in our text, or continuing there in Matthew, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. 
Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That happened just about a week, not quite a week before this moment. Verse 18, Matthew says, That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Over in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, it says, When he, Jesus, reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen, not the least of which was the resurrection of Lazarus. Make no mistake, the reason they were there that day to to sing Hosanna to the son of David was the fact that Jesus had raised Lazarus the week before. The resurrection of Lazarus got them to Palm Sunday. Check out this pic from my recent trip to Jerusalem. This is the path going down the Mount of Olives uh, the Mount of Olives is behind you and uphill, and you're going downhill toward the city of Jerusalem. You see in the distance there that the Dome of the Rock today, that's where the, t- the temple would have stood, but it would have been three times as high as the Dome of the Rock and about four times as wide. It would have been massive standing there in stark relief against the, the rest of the city. And if you look at that furthest tree to the left, let me kind of see if I can point exactly Right about here, I don't know if you can see there's a little difference in the wall there of Jerusalem. That's the eastern gate. That's, that would have been where Jesus would have then gone down through the Kidron Valley from here and up uh, the hill into the city through the eastern gate and then right on into uh, the rest of the city. I got off my track up here, didn't I? And so there Jesus is. And all his followers began to shout and sing as they're walking along, praising God for all the wondrous miracles they'd seen. Verse 38 of Luke 19, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, and I believe when he did, he was smiling. He might have even kind of chuckled. At the irony of the moment, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. The rocks would cry out, Jesus said. You see, what the crowds were saying was exactly true, amen? Jesus was the king who came in the name of Yahweh. Because of him, there would be peace in heaven and and glory in the highest heaven. He is the messianic sovereign. He is the king of Israel come to rescue his people, but, but from their greatest enemy, from their own sin, not from the Romans, as so many that day supposed. And most all of the Jews gathered and shouting praise to Jesus that day totally missed that truth as they welcomed him. 
That day, as palm fronds were thrown on the ground, that day, as, as praises, even from the Old Testament Scripture, were, were cried out to Jesus, they thought he was coming to town to oust the Romans from Israel's capital city. They missed the fact that this king purposefully rode a donkey as a sign that he came as the prince of peace not to wage war against Rome. Jesus would later in the week tell Pilate, the representative of the Roman Empire in the area, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Oh, you see, Jesus will one day ride not a donkey but a white horse. One day Jesus will wage war, but not on earthly power in defense of any nation, but rather in vindication of his eternal kingdom and his ways from heaven that this world has rejected and despised. In fact, on that day, Jesus will show each and every kingdom of this world, every national government that's ever been, for what it truly is, an empire of idolatrous state power that hates the sovereignty of Jesus, an empire of state-endorsed religion that hates grace and mercy in Jesus for sinners, empires of state-empowered greed that hate the eternity-shaped value system of Jesus. Jesus will expose them all, and he'll say to the universe and to, to all the world, I am king. And my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom's not like anything you try to to craft and shape in your governmental systems in the here and now. My kingdom is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom that lasts forever. It's the kingdom that's always been, always will be. It is the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 19 paints this picture where John says, I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. This is Jesus. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. That day will come. But for now, praise his name, Jesus comes as the messianic sovereign who brings peace with God through his sacrifice for the sins of the world. And by the way, the reason that last day, the white horse deal, the reason that battle will come is because the world has rejected what he did the first time he rode into Israel on a donkey. The salvation and mercy and grace he's given us through his life, death, and resurrection. John chapter 10, in verse 17, we hear Jesus' own words. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life 
only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus said, I just want to be real clear. I was in charge on Palm Sunday. I I, I rode into the city on Palm Sunday on a mission to die. I was there not to oust Rome, not to, to put things right in a worldly sense. I came to put things right in an everlasting sense. And, and nobody took my life from me. The, the, the events of Holy Week that we're about to celebrate, by the way, Good Friday evening, this Friday evening, 6 p.m., right here in these two sections where you'll sit, we'll have a candlelight communion service to, to talk about and reflect more folk, in a more focused way on the sufferings of Jesus. But nobody made him do it. Nobody took his life. I was reading something from, it was heretical this week, and it, and it just was talking about what the cross meant. The cross couldn't really be God sending his son to bear his own wrath on the cross. God would never be that kind of a father who punished his son for sinners. The, the cross was really about all the sin of the world being put on Jesus, but but really, it, it, it just—it was the ultimate sin. Humanity killed Jesus on that cross. No, friends. The Father told the Son to go. The Father smote the Son on the cross. But the Son said, yes, Father. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. Why? That God may be glorified in the salvation of sinners through His mercy and grace given freely through Jesus Christ the one and only spotless lamb who can take away the sins of the world. But you see, the people just didn't get it that day, did they? One commentator says, they wanted to be free from Gentile oppression, even if by force, even if by threats and plagues and a split sea, as they recounted so well from their history in the Old Testament. They wanted another exodus, one that expelled the Romans, but instead what they got by Friday morning was a bloodied has-been, a man in Roman custody, Rejected by their own leaders, standing next to the infamous criminal called Barabbas. They wanted an incomparable king, but they would see a beaten blasphemer. Or so they thought. The sounds of this Sunday, this Palm Sunday, would later be betrayed by the sounds of their stony hearts. Blessed is he, would some soon become, crucify him. For this reason, there is something nauseating about today. For even though their words were appropriate, they didn't really believe that he was the Messiah, the the Messianic sovereign that their hearts needed most. And they would, in just a few days, reject the one they'd hailed as their king instead of embracing him as their only salvation. Why? Because he gave them what they needed most, not what he didn't bless their agendas. You know, there's a Christian Americans all over, American Christians all over this nation in the church, at least professing followers of Jesus Christ, who I'm convinced will be, will hear the words of Jesus, sadly, depart from me, I never knew you. They're saying, Lord, Lord, but what they're about is having Jesus bless their agenda. Jesus did not come to bless your agenda. He didn't come to bless my agenda. He came to save the world, 
to rescue you from yourself, to rescue you from your greed, to rescue us from power plays all over the world, to rescue us from dead religion, to serve the living and only gracious God. As one uh, pastor put it, if Jesus was to write a book about Holy Week, it would be called How to Lose the Crowd and Enrage the Powerful. Because after Palm Sunday, that's exactly what the rest of the week looked like until he died bloody on the cross. Those who live for palm branches won't die on a cross. They won't won't go there. The crowd is not a judge of anything other than the momentary impulses of the mob. Isn't it amazing to watch human history and see the power of the mob? Just a seed of a thought can incite a mob before long. It's like we've been studying the book of Acts. Half the mob doesn't even know why they're mobbing. Right? They didn't know why they're there. But somebody got them stirred up and emotional, and, and, and it, was, it was worth a fight. If they could figure out what they were fighting about. It says, John said in John 1 verse 11, He came, Jesus came to his own people. And even they rejected him. He came to his own people on Palm Sunday. Oh, they lauded him that day, but just a few short days later, four days later, they hung him on a Roman cross. What about you? What about me? Is Jesus' name just on our lips casually and because it's the thing to do around the church while our hearts... Are far from him, or do you, do I truly believe Jesus Christ is the messianic sovereign who has brought us our only hope for salvation from our sins and peace with God through his life, death, and resurrection? Oh, you see, one day there's going to be a genuine Palm Sunday. It'll look kind of like this, Revelation 7. After this, John said, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And that day's coming. And they'll mean it. These are the ones. These are... It's us, if we know Him today. It's us who've realized the power of this world won't save you. All the money of this world won't save you. All the religion of this world won't save you. Jesus alone can save And if you'll look to him in simple childlike faith, he will. If you have looked to him, he has. And you can say, you will be there. I will be there one day singing, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Will you be there? Are you right now surrendered to Jesus Christ, the King of salvation? You see, we must welcome him as he is, not as we want him to be. Jesus is the messianic sovereign. Secondly, this morning, and there's only two points, Jesus is the merciful Savior. Jesus, we see in this account of Palm Sunday, Jesus weeps for those who reject him and longs for all to embrace 
his mercy. Luke 19, we pick it up in verse 41. We read this at the beginning of the service. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Only one of two times Jesus weeps in the scriptures that we're told about. How I wish today, he says, that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. Some of your translations say, because you missed the day of my visitation. You didn't know who I was or why I'd come. The word here in, in verse 41 for weep, the, 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 the Greek, Greek word doesn't, uh, it, it has so much uh, more passion in it than, than our English translation, he began to weep. It, it, it denotes a, a weeping out loud. It's a, it's a heaving sort of crying with sorrow. It's that uncontrollable flow of tears when you are in agony and you can't stop the snubbing. You ever been there? You know what I'm talking about, right? When you completely lose it. You're snotting and snubbing and it's just all, there's nothing you can do. You, just, you, can't, you can't hold back. This is how Jesus cried. It's how he wept as he came to the city that day. Why? Because of all people, Israel should have gotten it. They had thousands of years of history. They had all of the Old Testament witness, the law, the prophets, and the writings. They had it all. And it all pointed to him. It was all about their expected Savior. Yet they missed it. This is no sophisticated shedding of a few tears. This is uncontrollable wailing. And it is because the heart of God breaks. The heart of Jesus broke. When people reject his love and mercy and grace in Jesus. And Jesus looks at Jerusalem and says, here's the deal. You missed your chance. In AD 70, the city of Jerusalem would fall, wouldn't it? For the last time. Jesus in the fall of Jerusalem, he, as he prophesied the fall of Jerusalem, was saying, here's the deal. This city's going down to make it crystal clear that my kingdom is not of this world. I don't need an earthly city to do my thing in the kingdom of God. In fact, because you rejected me, and his plan was this all along, the, the gospel will go to the world. My kingdom will be a church across all ethnic Lines. It'll reach clear around the globe. It won't just be one little strip of land in Palestine. It'll be worldwide. It'll be filled with people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And they will together rule in the heavenly Jerusalem. In that moment, when the multitude is shouting his praises, his heart is breaking over the woes of the city that he knew would slay him. Again, only in one other place are we told that Jesus wept. He had wept at the death of Lazarus just a few days before this. And both times it was over human sorrow. Why does Jesus weep and lament for this city? 
because God had sent his Messiah and they didn't know him. Do you recognize God's visitation today? Do you see and hear what God is trying to say through Jesus? Jesus knew of the brutal slaughter of tens of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem by the Romans that would occur under General Titus in AD 70. And his heart was full of mercy that gave way to sorrow because the nation of Israel chose to reject him and would have to suffer God's judgment. John MacArthur says that's the heartbreak of God right there. There's no way in the world you can, you can view God as being indifferent to those who perish when we read that Jesus looked at Israel at Jerusalem and wept in agony for them. The Old Testament tells us he finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He finds grief in the death of the wicked. While God is righteous and holy and and therefore angry about sin, he's at the same time perfectly compassionate. Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But thou, O Lord, art art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And in Lamentations 3.22, it said, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, Jesus had expressed His merciful heart for Jerusalem earlier in Luke chapter 13, verse 34. He said, He cried out then, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you would not let me. What a tender and merciful Savior. But each person has a choice to make. You see, theirs was not an incurable ignorance, but the cure was and is repentance rather than education. In Jerusalem, the nation of Israel refused to repent and embrace Jesus, the merciful Savior. John MacArthur again says, people who perish, perish because they don't want to trust Jesus and live. Jesus wept because of this unwillingness to believe. It grieved his heart and it should grieve ours as well. Today, do you trust Jesus as your Savior? If not, hear me. Hear the Word of God. Hear the heart of the one who died for you. His heart weeps for you. His heart is full and and, and, and overflowing with mercy for you. Jesus cries out to you today through this text. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Run to me for forgiveness and righteousness and redemption. I am the Lamb of God who can take away even your many, many sins. If you're one of Jesus' sheep this morning, does your heart, does my heart, Weep, for the, weep with the same mercy for those who don't yet know our merciful Savior? Do we look at our county, at our nation, and weep for the destruction that will come unless they turn to the only Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ? Do we weep for the lost? By the way, you have an opportunity to, to grow in your ability to share the gospel and express your compassion to the lost on Wednesday nights. We started last Wednesday night. Session two is this Wednesday night, 6.30, right here, right here. 
After that, we got a total of four sessions. Come learn how to talk about Jesus with those who need to know him. We're reminded of just how big Jesus' heart is with mercy. As he hangs mutilated and dying on the cross only minutes from his death on that Good Friday. And he, and he says these words, Father, forgive them. Forgive who? Forgive those people that are right down below me as I hang on this Roman crucifix. Forgive those people that put me here. Forgive all those that called for my crucifixion. Forgive the generations to come that would sit in East L.J. Baptist Church on whatever today is, March 25th, 2018, whose sin put me on that cross. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Even there on the cross, mercy for those who are crucifying fills the heart of our merciful Savior. Jesus is such a tender Savior. But his mercy moved him to deny himself and go to the cross to meet our greatest need by paying for our sin. That means there's hope and mercy and forgiveness for me and for you, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've strayed. Romans 5 verse 8 puts it this way, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. There's no way he, he can forgive me. Let me tell you something. When Jesus hung on that cross 2,000 years ago, understanding this, he was God incarnate. And because he was, here's what he knew when he hung on that cross. He knew your name, and he knew everything you would ever do in life. And you know what he did that day? He hung on the cross for your sin anyway. If you'll simply believe in him, forgiveness is yours. Righteousness before a holy God is yours. I don't know what you've done. He knew and he died for you anyway. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. You see, this Palm Sunday doesn't have to be for us like the first one was for the crowds. Their praise that day was hollow and hypocritical, quite frankly. As we've already mentioned, they would in just a few days betray this one they call king and call for his torturous death. We don't have to do it that way today. We must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. You and I can sincerely and humbly bow our hearts and surrender to Jesus and the messianic sovereign that he is, taking his salvation and giving him control of our lives. You and I can embrace Jesus as our merciful Savior today. But understand this, he is both. He is the messianic sovereign. He will be Lord of your life if you would have him as merciful Savior in your life. He will rule or he doesn't come at all. There is a teaching out there that says, you know, here's the deal, you can have Jesus as merciful Savior, you never really have to bow to him as messianic sovereign. Wrong. He's not, he doesn't have a split personality. Jesus knows exactly who he is. He's the messianic sovereign who is the merciful Savior all at the same time. And you will bow to him as both Lord and Savior. Or he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. you. You could have said a sinner's prayer one time in the altar, but never bowed the knee to the lordship of Jesus in your life. Hear me, friend, that is not saving faith, and you are one to whom Jesus will say, depart from me. You said, Lord, Lord, you, you, you talked the talk, you went to church, but, but you never gave me the reins of your life. I never sat on the throne of your heart. You thought you knew me, but I never knew you. 
And you know, church, we can spread his mercy to our world today, weeping for those who reject him and pleading with them as we deny ourselves and make sacrifices to tell them about our merciful Savior who loved them to death, that they might be forgiven and live forever with him. The heart of every person must welcome Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. If a person is to truly and personally know God's mercy and salvation in Christ, do you know him? And church, will you tell them? Whoever them is for you. Whoever them is for us as a church. People living all, almost under the shadow of the steeple of this church that need Jesus. Have you shared him with them? Will you go there? Are we as a church reaching our community? You know, one thing about, about that question is the answer is somewhat convicting. You will look like your community when you are reaching your community. Do we look like a cross-section of Gilmer County? Are we just hanging out with people like us? Not reaching across socioeconomic, ethnic lines to where lost people are. Let's pray together.